Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. Well, we are in the middle of a series called Jesus Above All. And last week, we said that if we don't get this Jesus above all thing right, then nothing else will be right. There's no question that we're living in a crazy time. And people are asking, starting to ask the same questions that the disciples ask Jesus. We find some of their dialogue in Matthew chapter 24 at the second part of verse 3. They said, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Paul also exhorted his protege, Timothy, about the end times in a letter that he wrote in the first century. Second Timothy chapter two, verse one says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Check. People will be lovers of themselves. Check. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Look, if this doesn't describe our culture, I don't know what does. Now more than ever, Jesus above all is of the utmost importance. Look, I don't know if what's happening in Israel is the beginning of the end of the world as we know it. I don't know if this is the start of what's been prophesied and predicted in the Bible, but I know this, there's no better time to do some self-reflection and make sure that Jesus is above all in your life and make sure that Jesus is above all in your family. Look, the reality is whether this is the beginning of the end or not, the world is likely going to get worse and not better. And if we're not deeply rooted in our relationship with Jesus, we will be tossed to and fro with every news story, with every tragedy, with every catastrophe, with every crisis, with every election cycle. And listen, I believe that every person should exercise their right to vote. And if you don't vote, then you don't have a right to complain. And if you did vote, you still shouldn't complain because it's a sin. But the truth is, it doesn't matter if a Democrat, a Republican, an Independent, or SpongeBob SquarePants is in the White House. My heart will echo the words of David, the ancient king of Israel. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord with him at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Jesus above all. All right, that was a lot of yelling for an introduction. The first week of the series, we said that we all have to answer the same question that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say I am? We find that dialogue in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? 
And they replied, some say, John the Baptist. Others say, Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it upon this rock. What's he saying upon this realization or this revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God upon that revelation, Jesus will build his church. In other words, the fact that Jesus is the son of the living God, it's the foundation for everything else. So the question remains, who do you, who do I say that he is? Who do you say that Jesus is? And I hope that you've been doing some soul searching over the last few weeks, that you've asked yourself that question and it's stirred something up inside of you to even say, you know, I need to reevaluate my relationship with Jesus. Who do I say he is? Is he just the person I run to in crisis? Is he just a good teacher? Is he just all of the things that you hear from people outside of the Christian faith, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? feel his presence in the room. Gosh, for weeks I just get up here and cry the whole time. People think there's something wrong with us. <laughs> People texting us during the week. I don't know what you're going through, but God's got you. We're not going through nothing. God's just stirring our heart and doing something. Several weeks ago, Katie came up. I was like, you have anything to say? She came up. She's like, I can't talk. And then she just fell down. She's like kneeling and crying. And people are like, they're going through something. <laughs> Jesus is inviting us to a relationship that's beyond what we have ever experienced. Amen. The door is open and he's saying, come on. Who is Jesus to you? I just can't move. I can't move past this. Who has something in their heart? Who's Jesus to you? Like, is there a testimony? Is there a testimony burning in somebody's heart? Something that Jesus has done for you? Like, we don't do this. Carrie, quickly, what do you have? He healed my daughter. He brought healing home. And he brought her truth. And now where she was in weed and she was in baby, now she walks in truth. And leads others to God at 16 years old. Hallelujah. Amen. Jesus is a healer. How many, how many others have experienced Jesus as a healer? Mike, quickly. Um, he just, he's a personal God. He, he's more interested in us as a person than he is as a, our ministry. Amen. Amen. Did you hear that? That's a word from the Lord. That God is more interested in you as a person than he is in what you have to offer the kingdom. 
And there are people sitting here right now under the sound of my voice that have felt abused and used by the church system. And that is a word from the Lord to you that God is more interested in you and your life and your heart than anything that you have to offer. We come to this platform and we offer our gifts as God to, to God. It's the best that we can do. It's the best that we can offer him. But how dare me ever step to this place in some kind of arrogance like I have some kind of gift. God is the one that gave us the gift. We're so proud of the gift that he gave us. He's like, yeah, dude, I gave you that. What are you, what are you? It's not that God doesn't want you to use your gifts. But I feel strongly that that's from the Lord, that there's people in here that have felt used and abused. And if that's you, I want you to hear the word of the Lord. God is saying, that was not me. He cares more about you as a person than he does your gift. All right. Let's go. I hope you're answering that question. Who is Jesus to you? To some, he's a healer. To some, he's a deliverer. To some, he is freedom. He's a provider. He's our sustainer. He's our, he's our good God. He's a good father. People in the room that haven't experienced the, the joy of having a good father. He is a good father. Last week we talked about defining the relationship. And we talked about being a follower of Jesus and not just a fan or a secret admirer. And we got the language fan from the book from Kyle Eidelman called Not a Fan. Incredible book. I encourage you to read it. Pick it up. God moved in a powerful way as people just flooded this altar and repented for being a fan and not a follower. See, it's not enough to simply believe. And we looked at several verses, Pastor David quoted some of them this morning, where we're told to believe and be saved, and that's a paraphrase. But biblical belief is more than just mental assent or verbal acknowledgement. See, many of us have repeated a prayer, raised our hand, or walked forward at the end of a sermon and made a decision to believe, but there was never a commitment to follow. And Jesus never offered us such an option. He's looking for more than words of belief. He's looking to see how those words are lived out in our lives. And when we decide to believe in Jesus without making a commitment to follow him, we become what Kyle called in his book, nothing more than fans. James chapter 2, verse 19, the brother of Jesus says, you believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. Again, we tend to define belief as the acceptance of something as real or true. But biblical belief is more than just an intellectual acceptance or heartfelt acknowledgement. It's a commitment to follow. And following, by definition, requires more than mental assent. It calls for movement. I'm not saying that following is more important than believing. What I'm saying is that the two are firmly connected. And biblically speaking, we cannot have one without the other. Following is part of believing, but truly, but to truly believe is to follow. There's a difference in believing that something is true and believing in something or someone. Let me show you a quick video. This is Emmett, our fun-loving, adventurous 
four-year-old. Also, Emmett eating a donut all over his face, nose, eyebrows. Lakers. Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> this is very deep. Lakers. Joe who? Joe Mama! <laughs> <laughs> That's her favorite joke right now. Joe Mama. Now why did I show you that video? Do you believe that Emmett is real? Do you believe that Emmett is a normal four-year-old doing normal four-year-old things? You probably believe that Emmett has questionable food choices. Now here's another question. You believe that Emmett is real, but would you trust in Emmett to manage your money for the next year? <laughs> would you trust in Emmett to be your driver for the next week? He has experience driving power wheels in the backyard. Here's the point. You believe that Emmett is real, but you do not believe in him beyond what normal four-year-olds do. We do the same thing with our walk with Jesus. We believe that he's real. We believe that he's the son of God. We believe that he died on a cross. We believe that he rose, on again, he rose again. But Satan also believes. Satan believes that he's real, that he's the son of God, that he died on a cross, that he rose again. But Satan cannot and does not believe in Jesus as Savior. It's not enough to just believe. Biblical belief is more than mental assent or acknowledgement. Biblical belief requires believing in. Biblical belief requires corresponding action. Biblical belief requires us to be followers. I know this is a tough message. Jesus preached this message and the crowd turned around and left. And he looked at his disciples and said, are you going to leave too? And they said, where will we go? You have the words of life. Again, I'm not saying following is more important than believing. I'm saying that there are two sides of the same coin. And we have to evaluate our lives in regards to how we're following Jesus. In, 2000, in the 2004 Olympics, uh, Matt Emmons was one shot away from winning the gold medal. He was competing in the 50-meter three-position rifle event. He, did not, he didn't need a bullseye. He was so far ahead that basically all he needed to do was hit the target. Normally, the shot he made would have received a score of 8.1, which would have been way more than enough for gold. 
but in what was described as, quote, an extremely rare mistake in elite competition, end quote. Emmons fired at the wrong target. Standing in lane two, he fired on the target in lane three. His score for a good shot at the wrong target, zero. Instead of gold, he finished eighth. This is such a clear description of what many of us are doing with our spiritual lives. Because when asked if we're following Jesus, we would say yes. But the reality is, without realizing it, many of us have been aiming at the wrong target. Instead of following Jesus, we're following religion and religious rules and rituals. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus addresses a group of religious leaders. By all appearances, they would have been considered followers. They were experts in the scriptures. They were considered theologians. They were known for their strict observance of the law. But the problem that Jesus had with them is that they were aiming at the wrong target. They were so focused on outside appearances that they neglected their inner lives. Seven times in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says, woe to you. And then he harshly rebuked them. Woe was an expression of grief, but also he was, it was a curse. He was rebuking them for looking one way on the outside, but being another on the inside. Now, these spiritual leaders that Jesus is addressing in Matthew 23, they made up a religious ruling body of men. There were 72 men called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were made up of two different groups. One was called Pharisees and the other group was called Sadducees. These two groups did not get along. Now, when I grew up, all I heard about these groups was the Sadducees were called Sadducees because they were sad, you see. But there's more to it than that. The Sadducees were considered more conservative in how they interpreted Scripture. The Pharisees were more liberal in how they interpreted Scripture. If you were a Sadducee, it meant that you were born into that position. There, there were other requirements, of course, but it had to be part of your family heritage. But being a Pharisee didn't depend on the family that you were born into. It depended on your hard work. And sadly, I think the spirit of these two groups is still alive and well in our churches today and in our lives. See, many of us came to Christ and we've taken the mindset of a Pharisee. In other words, being a follower of Jesus is all about the rules. It's all about my hard work. It's all about my effort. We say, the right, we say the right things, we do the right things, but it's often for the wrong reasons. Our actions and our hearts are misaligned. And Jesus isn't simply interested in our actions or our good deeds. deeds. He's interested in having our heart. He's interested in every part of us. Should our actions, should we have good actions and, and do good deeds? Of course. We spent a lot of time the last two weeks looking at the words of James, the brother of Jesus, when he said our faith or our belief and our action work together. But when our actions are used as a way of earning God's love or acceptance, we've moved into the same mindset as the Pharisees. Others of us in the room are more like the Sadducees. Our families were Christian and therefore we are Christian. Maybe your parents unintentionally handed you a mask and said, here, wear this. This is who we are. 
We grew up acting like Christians act. We talked like Christians talk. We listened to the music that Christians listened to. We went to the places that Christians went to. But our faith was more about honoring grandma and grandpa or mom and dad than it was about a real relationship with Jesus. Just because you were born into a Christian family doesn't mean that you've actually been born again. And I feel strongly that God is calling us to a moment of honesty, a moment of authenticity, if you will, a moment of inner reflection. Is Jesus above all in my life or am I just a Pharisee or a Sadducee? Am I more focused on the outside than I am on the inside? Do I care more about what you think of me than of what Jesus thinks of me? I shared last week the story from several weeks ago and I felt prompted to come to the altar and pray. And instead of coming to the altar, I knelt behind that keyboard right over there. I knelt down on the floor. What was happening in that moment? The truth is, is I cared more about what people thought of me than of what Jesus thought of me. I was disobedient. But that's how we live our lives. We care more about perception than reality. Our world is consumed with perception. As long as you perceive me as having it all together, then fine. As long as you perceive me as being nice or kind. As long as you perceive me as being joyful or happy. As long as you perceive me as being successful, then it doesn't matter what's really happening on the inside. But Jesus is inviting us to take off the mask of the Pharisee. To take off the mask of the Sadducee. It doesn't matter how much you've accomplished in your life. It doesn't matter what family you came from or did it come from. The invitation of Jesus is to abandon it all and follow him. Not just follow a bunch of rules, but to truly follow him. To lay down our lives. To lay down our desires. To lay down everything that we are. Matthew chapter 16 Verse 24 and 25, Jesus says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. God is calling us to die to ourselves. Remember, we talked about that extensively in the last series, that there must be an emptying before there can be a filling. And the reason many of us aren't being filled by the Spirit of God is that we remain too full of ourselves. We believe in our minds and with acknowledgement that Jesus is above all. We know the scriptures. We can quote it, King of kings and Lord of lords, but he's not even the Lord of my heart. I believe there's a shift that's happening in our world. And the call of Jesus is loud and clear. Forsake everything else and follow me. Sometimes it's difficult to tell, but it's fall time in Florida. (laughs) Which means very little, except that pumpkin spice, everything is now available. Everywhere. We want the weather to change. We're glad it felt good this morning. It just teases us from time to time. But usually it remains 85 degrees and 400% humidity. (laughs) Now for our family, with fall comes campfires and s'mores. Anybody else? Now you may not have noticed this. I'm not a lumberjack. (laughs) That means that when it's time for a campfire, I go to Publix 
and get the supplies I need for s'mores and also firewood. Anybody else get your firewood at Publix? <laughs> Jamie, you're the only lumberjack in the building. You got... Some of you are lying. You're just too afraid. So I, just, I just said, don't be afraid of people to care about what Jesus thinks. And Jesus is watching you lie and say you didn't buy your firewood at Publix. The firewood at Publix is usually relatively inexpensive. But the best part about it is it's dry. The wood is already dried out. So all I have to do is start a small fire with kindling and throw logs on the fire. Have you ever been to a campfire or a bonfire where somebody tries to burn a green or a wet log? It was freshly cut, basically still alive. What happens in that moment? The log that's not dried up produces a lot of smoke. And no matter where you move to, it's like the smoke just follows you. It burns your eyes. It chokes you. All you want to do is get away from it. And unfortunately, that's a representation of a lot of our lives. There's so much of our old lives still inside of us that instead of burning for Jesus, we're just creating a lot of smoke. And the problem is people hate smoke. Jesus is inviting us to die to ourselves, to make him Lord of all and above all and burn for him in such a way that we draw people to him instead of repel them by our smoke. I don't want people to be around my life and simply experience smoke because there's still so much of myself alive inside. I want people to experience Jesus. I don't want people to come to our church and experience a lot of smoke. I want them to experience Jesus. You know what happens when people experience Jesus? Everything changes. A mentor of mine recently said this, we've spent too much time building church services for people and inviting Jesus to come when instead we should have been building our services for Jesus and inviting people to come. If people come but Jesus doesn't show up, then we've failed. But if the presence of Jesus is here, people will come. Amen. The same is true of our lives individually. Are we just building the life that we want? Have we even considered consulting Jesus on what he'd like? Are we just throwing wet green logs on the fire and doing a lot of smoking? Or are we dying to ourselves so that the fire can burn bright? I can't keep throwing wet wood on the fire. I'm not going to do it anymore. I ask God every day to help me empty myself so that there's more room for Him. And I encourage you to do the same thing. Get quiet with the Lord and ask him to reveal the places in your life where the wood is still green and wet. And then give him permission to access every part of your life so that Jesus can be above all.
I don't know. I don't know what God wants to do in our church. I don't know what he wants to do in our lives. I don't even know what he wants to do in my heart. My personal devotion life and prayer life has changed drastically over the last number of months. I told Katie on the way this morning, she was about to drop me off. And I was like, sometimes I feel like it's not even changing anything. I don't know what's changing. I go to spend time with the Lord and I often I just lay down on the floor. I have a little towel I've rolled up and I put my, I just go face down, head on the towel. And most of the time, and I know I shared this before several weeks ago, but most of the time I'm just saying, God, I don't know what to say. Just help me empty myself of myself. Whatever's in there, it's not of you. Help me to get rid of it. I'm saying that because I feel like God has me on a journey. He's taking me down a path I've never been on before. I've had lots of moments where I've experienced him. Lots of moments where he's, moments where he's touched me deeply. Lots of moments that have, he's just completely just wrecked my life. But the path that I'm on right now, I don't even know how to navigate it. And then I have to get up here every Sunday and say, hey, this is, I, and I just fumble and I cry and I don't know what to do other than to invite you on the journey with me. And I know that talking about dying to self is not an easy message to digest. I get it. It's not new. Thousands of people left Jesus. They came, they were listening. He provided food, fish and loaves of bread and he fed everybody and there was 12 baskets left over and then he went to the other side of the lake and then they chased him down and when they showed up, he said, you're not here because you're hungry for me. You're here because you want more food. You want another miracle. And I'm like, God, is that my life? I'm just chasing you for the next miracle. And we should believe for miracles. Like I said earlier, he's a good father. He wants to give us miracles. Jesus himself said, if you being evil fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask or give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so I'm not trying to say that he doesn't want to bless us or give us good things. And I don't want this to be so heavy that we can't deal with it. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But there's this tension between these two worlds because what we view as easy and light is whatever we want. If you have small children, you deal with this on a regular basis. That's why Emmett dips cheese puffs in ketchup. Yesterday, after a long day, Emmett Bennett had popcorn for dinner. I said, baby's having popcorn for dinner. And she's like, I don't have the energy. And that's where we get sometimes. where our children want what they want when they want it. And if they don't get the cookie and they don't get the chocolate milk and they don't get the thing, then it's meltdown city. I don't, I, and I, I don't know. I'm not, I, I don't know where the tension, I, I, I mean, I'm in that tension, but I don't know where the balance is. I don't think it's that God doesn't want to give us chocolate milk. It's that he wants us to be willing to give the chocolate milk up. It's exactly what David was talking about during communion, right? I mean, Abraham took the promise, the sacrifice, the son, took his son and was going to sacrifice him because 
God told him to. And out of that obedience, not only did his son survive, but we're all here, grafted into the family of God because of the sacrifice that Abraham was willing to commit. So this is where we are. I get to the end of prepping these messages and I don't even know how to end it. Normally you get type of conclusion or a resolve or whatever and I don't know how. And I know at some point, look, there may be people that are like, I'm tired of just going in and listening to this guy cry every Sunday. I, can't, I gotta go somewhere else. I get it. And if that's where you are, God bless you. We release you in Jesus' name. I hope I don't get up here and cry like this for the rest of my ministry. I just don't, I just don't have anything else to offer other than what I have to do for myself. And I told you weeks ago, and it was a long build-up to, to basically, you know, the tension of trying to please Jesus and please people. I don't ever want to manipulate anything. I just don't, I just don't know what to do other than seek him. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.